Cool. Welcome back, everyone. Before we get started with today's show, it is the end of the year. This will be our last episode, so I want to throw a pitch out there. While free speech is free, uh, protecting it isn't. And FIRE is, of course, a generous sponsor of this show, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. So if you're looking to give to a nonprofit at the end of this year and you care deeply about free speech issues, I'd encourage you to reach into your wallets and uh, send a donation FIRE's way. We're trying to build a free speech army so to speak, as we explore our expanded mission. So if you're interested in these issues and you care about this podcast, long-time listeners, maybe you're just coming to the show, please consider going to thefire.org slash donate to give us your support. Now, let's get on to the show. Freedom of speech. Fundamental rights. Freedom of uh, conscience. Academic freedom. Freedom of press. And the right to listen. You're listening to So to Speak, the free speech podcast. Brought to you by FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. Welcome back to So to Speak, the free speech podcast, where every other week we take an uncensored look at the world of free expression through personal stories and candid conversations. I am your host, Nico Perino. The past couple episodes, we have talked about things happening in the free speech world off campus, but today I have two of my distinguished colleagues from FIRE's Campus Rights Advocacy Program to talk with me about what is happening on campus. It has been a crazy year. To do that, I've got Zach Greenberg. He's a senior program officer in the Campus Rights Advocacy Program. Zach, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I also have our fearless leader, Alex Mori, uh, previously in the communications department with me, now the director of Campus Rights Advocacy, and uh, both of you have been previous guests on the show. Alex, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be here. So tell me a little bit about this year. I, my understanding has been a record-setting year for fire letters yes. to campus administrations. We are we have uh, we are breaking our letter record to campus administrators this year. I think the previous record was somewhere around 200. We're trending towards 205, 210, just cranking them out and getting them out the door because there are so many things going on still in the campus <laughs> right space even though we expanded to other to other things here. Yeah, keeping you guys busy. You were telling me uh, and some of our colleagues off-camera that DEI statements and sort of issues surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion have become kind of a, a trend and become prominent in the work that you guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, they went, what from, does that mean? they went from zero to 60. Like, we a few years yeah. ago, we had not heard of uh, these DEI problems where faculty are coming to us saying, to get hired, to get tenure, to get promoted, the, the administration or my department is telling me that I have to... Uh, say that I agree with their views on diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. Do they I define what these terms mean? Frequently, no. no I think no. we all sort of have a, a an sense. understanding yeah. of what people are talking about these days when they're talking about equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, but, of course, you know, the, some of the faculty we talk to are not... You know, they're not just old white guys that hate diversity. We're talking about people who maybe study race or gender discrimination and they have incredibly nuanced views uh -huh. that maybe don't align with the university and they don't want to have to change their syllabi. They don't want to have to write a statement about how they're uh, comporting with some administrator's vision of DEI when they have their own vision of DEI. So that is that has seen a huge spike this year. Do you have a percentage by chance? Of about, it's about, it's Oh, right now, it's 7.8% of our cases, but over the year, it's been hovering at about 10%, and that's up from 0% uh, in the last few years. This came on yeah, these, the radar like gangbusters, and now it's here to stay. These, these cases were pretty much non-existent before the uh, George Floyd murder in May 2022, and that created an explosion. 2020. 2020, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> and that created an explosion in these cases where we're seeing all these universities impose these really vague requirements on faculty hiring, promotion, and tenure, their livelihoods based on the commitment to DEI. And these terms are not very well defined. And faculty come to fire saying, hey, I'm discriminating against based on my views. How do I help myself and help preserve this, this campus for free expression? And yeah. we should be really clear that fire takes no position on just like anything, you know, we don't, if we're defending someone with certain political views, that doesn't mean we agree with those views. We don't say that DEI is good or bad or frequently they're not defined, so we can't really say one way or the other. But okay. all we're saying is that 
faculty have the academic freedom and the expressive right to not be compelled to state that they have views they don't have or to change their syllabi or to say that they love DEI so that they can get promoted or get tenure. So, I mean, is the issue that they function essentially as political litmus tests? Exactly. Then? I mean, yeah. I, these issues, DEI issues, tend to rate sort toward one side of the political spectrum, right? Like, I remember you mentioned the George Floyd protest. After those protests, a lot of college campuses started creating these anti-racism right. committees, yeah. right? Anti-racism is an ideology. It takes a certain perspective on how racism functions in society. And out of that came a lot of these recommendations for including diversity, equity, and inclusion in tenure and promotion uh, and hiring processes. So there are a lot of faculty, there are a lot of people in America who disagree with the ideas surrounding anti-racism. These ideas motivate DEI. And they're using these essentially as a screen, right, for certain faculty? I mean, that's how they, they function. They are, yeah, and this is not a new issue. And we're talking about going back to the 1960s, right, where there were bans on faculty belonging to any organization that advocates for the overthrow of the U.S. government, that are, that are treasonous, that are seditious, and targeted towards communists, obviously, after the second Red Scare. And so this whole issue of universities um, having this litmus test for faculty is really not a new one. And we're seeing kind of the EI being like the soup de jour of the day, right? The newest issue that's being uh, advocated for and censored and whatnot. And so we have these faculty members who are just trying to get into the university, trying to have their ideas and become members of the academic community, been able to do so because of their political views. But, but faculty, all right, so you teach, you teach students, right? And you need to make sure you have an inclusive environment in your classroom. Um, you know, you care about diversity and perhaps in all of its permutations. Are these things that universities shouldn't care about in, in hiring? They absolutely should. I think universities should care about faculty being competent in their subject matter, uh, treating students with respect, not discriminating against them based on their viewpoints or their race, ethnicity, stuff like that. Um, but we're really talking about universities conforming to administrators' views on what the correct political viewpoint should be. And a lot of these, these hiring committees of faculty um, are actually administrators, they're not faculty. They're people that don't really have a, a subject matter expertise in what they're trying to hire for. And that creates this, this orthodox in the university where you have administrators imposing their viewpoints on incoming faculty. Well, equity, you know, perhaps of those three categories is the most ideologically loaded, right? It's different from equality. Let's treat everyone similarly. It says, well, certain people are, are disadvantaged, right? And they need to get preference or additional resources to kind of level the playing field. And that's, you know, whether you agree with that argument or not, it is a controversial right. argument and how it should be applied um, it is something that's a matter for, for debate. So, but you see these being motivated by anti-racism, which places a great emphasis on equ equity. You can see how this could, to quote the Supreme Court, cast a pall of orthodoxy on campus. And, you know, if this is you know, just me thinking aloud here, if you were trying to create orthodoxy on campus, if you were trying to remove a certain viewpoint from the prof professoriate, I can't really think of a better way to do it. Than saying only people who agree with us get in the door. Yeah, because yep. hiring, as we know from all the bias studies that have been done throughout history, uh, uh, you know, dis discriminatory hiring based on race, on sex, hiring can be a black box. You don't know why someone doesn't get hired. So you require these diversity, equity, and inclusion statements, which, you know, you can pretty accurately predict someone's political beliefs, perhaps, if they, if they respond honestly yeah. to those statements. And so, you know, you see the statement that perhaps is coming from the conservative or the libertarian or the DEI skeptic, and you can just toss that one out the door without ever having a paper trail or ever having to justify why you did it, right? That's really troubling. But at the same time, you know, universities can hire for a, a holistic criteria of issues. And so there's often another justification you can make for why this person didn't get hired. So, you know, and, and universities have, have sort of the freedom to make those sorts of hiring choices, so long as it's not for a discriminatory reason, which as we know is hard. So you can't just out, you know, outright ban the requirement or the option 
for these universities to administer DI statements either, because that would itself perhaps be unconstitutional. Yeah, it's really tricky here because you're right, hiring is a black box. Universities do have their own free speech rights to determine their associations, figure out who they want to bring in the university, who to hire, which students to admit, stuff like that. But when it comes to diverse equity and inclusion, we're seeing these issues being tinged towards um, the traditional, I guess, is progressive views about race, race, ethnicity, background, stuff like that. Bowling Green is a perfect example of this, where in their, their rubric they have for DEI, they say that um, this, the faculty member must gets, actually gets marked down for speaking about diversity only in terms of different perspectives or areas of study, but do not discuss identity. So it's a really, it's a really uh, powerful um, movement here about diversity, not in terms of ideology, but in terms of your background, your ethnicity, and your race. Yeah, you can't say I'm contributing to diversity because I'm a conservative and there's not very many conservatives on this campus. Yeah, that doesn't count. There's no Trump supporters here, therefore I am a diverse political candidate. That's yeah, they're like, fly. not that kind of diversity. We mean a very specific thing. Which is interesting because when you, when you talk about people from different backgrounds, you know, uh, racial backgrounds, different sexes, um, uh, diff different sexual orientations, you, you, you talk about that, the, the diversity and the value that comes from that because they have different perspectives on things, right? They have different life experiences. But you say that viewpoint diversity, which, you know, is born out of kind of those personal characteristics yeah. sometimes, isn't valuable. And, and I'm glad you bring that up, Zach, because uh, FIRE has a research team. Uh, yeah, and do. prior to this podcast, I reached out uh, to them to see, like, so what sort of research they have. And, Breaking some news on this podcast, Nathan Honeycutt, who's a new addition to the research team here at FIRE, has done some extensive research on diversity, equity, inclusion statements and how they are used within uh, kind of the faculty hiring and promotion process. He did a study, he did seven different studies featuring uh, 3,878 faculty participants at U.S. colleges and universities. Um, and it found that faculty who wrote DEI statements were rated, that focused on viewpoint diversity, were rated much lower than those who um, wrote statements that were based on sort of issues of race or, 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 or gender. Yeah, he says the evaluation penalty was most severe toward DEI statements discussing viewpoint diversity, but was also of consequence for statements that focused on rural diversity and socioeconomic diversity. Uh, Treating the DEI statements, he writes, as an initial screening device, 51.6% of faculty who evaluated the viewpoint diversity statement recommended that the applicant not be advanced for further review. 35% uh, would not advance the writer of the socioeconomic diversity statement, and 42 for the rural diversity statement. Uh, that's compared to 9 to 20% for the various egalitarian DEI statements. That's, that is like the race and the, and the gender issue. So, you know, if you have faculty sitting on the committees reviewing these DEI statements, uh, it's very clear from the research that faculty are going to rate people lower, as you yeah. say, for expressing, you know, interest in viewpoint diversity issues, which is probably going to rate more toward the conservative or libertarian side of this perspective. And, yeah, uh, they don't mean viewpoint diversity. <laughs> they, they mean, you know, is someone from, you know, an underrepresented racial minority uh -huh. or an underrepresented, uh, you know, gender or sexuality. Uh, that's really what they're looking for, and that's what we're hearing from faculty. But they don't say that. They right? don't say that, and, and we, are, they, we are always looking for... Because that would be essentially like a litmus test. We have this opinion about DEI, and do you agree with it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you dissent from it, over half of your, your, uh, your statements are going to get thrown out before it goes further into the review process. Yeah, you can get a job here. You can't work at this university. And who loses, you know, is the students. I really think that uh, students are, should be seeking out faculty who have views that are different from their own or to engage in conversations around. I mean, I think every university administrator, if you said, what are the most important issues of our day, they would say stuff like race and class and, uh, you know, gender, gender identity, sexuality, and they are taking away students' opportunity to confront maybe faculty with different views in them or faculty who would bring speakers to campus who have uh, nuanced views or divergent views, and that helps students 
solidify their own views, even if they disagree with these faculty members or um, professors, and it also it or speakers, and it also helps students, um, you know, understand that they can engage with these other viewpoints without fear. They can uh, have these discussions, and it doesn't necessarily. You know, we have a lot of talk about like what's harming students these days. They can uh, have those discussions. And it also creates an echo chamber among faculty, right? You have these faculty who all think the same exact way. And that creates a department, say your economics department and your philosophy department, that only has very narrow viewpoints on what should be a broad area of study. And if you're a student in these departments trying to get your PhD, your master's just want to get your major there, um, you may feel chilled in your expression of going out there and talking to faculty, having these broad range of discussions that universities should, should be inspiring and should be encouraging uh, that won't be happening because of these very ideologically narrow and limited faculty. Yeah, I mean, there are some colleges and universities that kind of build their departments around a certain perspective on the issues. Right. You know, you think University of Chicago with the Chicago School in Economics, or you think like George Mason, for example, and its libertarian perspective, not just on economics, but also law. The problem becomes, and that can be a problem too, especially if you, you believe in like sort of debate across lines of difference being a better way to kind of arrive at truth and understanding. But it becomes especially a problem when all the departments across the country, when right. most departments within the country uh, have that same perspective. You know, the University of Chicago School of Economics was, you know, a minority perspective. You know, George Mason is, distinct, is notable because it is a divergent perspective on some of these issues. You know, you mentioned the Bowling Green issue. I, you know, I also have here, you guys currently have letters out to San Diego State University on some of its required DEI statements. There's also the University of Illinois, my home state, has one as well. Uh, it's not going away. <laughs> not going away. <laughs> I mean, at the, way it, at the rate it's going, almost every college and university, I think, is going to adopt one of these sort, sort of oh, DEI statements. It's just, it's just a question of how, uh, how bad it is, right? Like, yeah. optional statements aren't as bad as required statements, but then, you know, optional statements can function in the same sort of screening way that required ones can, right? It's like if you don't submit the optional statement, you're probably going to get screened out fairly quickly. And we do win some of these cases. Like Bowling Green, for example, had a great conversation with the General Counsel of the University. And she agreed with us pretty much in full. And she, she offered to revise the statements to now allow ideological diversity for its faculty. And it says right there in the statement that says, if you apply to this school with a DEI statement, you will not discriminate against based on your views. Which is you great. Hope. Let's do that. <laughs> so we hope that's the best we can do, right? Like yeah. you said, it's a black box. No one really knows how the sausage is made. But just having that, that statement on the application saying that your views um, will not be screaming against, that goes a long way. Yeah. I want to move now to talk about another trend in the campus wor world uh, involving disinvitations, right? Zach, I think, are you still the keeper of our disinvitation database? I used to be. I passed it off to wonderful researchers, like <laughs> you mentioned. We hire them now. They're great. Uh, yeah. They're doing a wonderful job. Do we know where this year sits on kind of the, I didn't have a chance to look at the database before we jumped on here, but sort of sits on the trend line since we started tracking? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. go oh, ahead. No, please. We are we are up significantly um, yeah. this year. We I was talking to Zach earlier about how you know several years ago, for a long time it was at commencement time when we were mm -hmm. watching disinvitations happen. You know, Condoleezza Rice would get invited, and some students yeah. would say, "We don't like her views on X or Mr. Rogers or I think the Dalai Lama." Dalai Lama. Um, yeah. We've had all across. I mean, the university has just stopped inviting anyone who was interesting to give their commencement address yeah. <laughs> exactly. to make them as bland and boring Carol's as possible. For the students, right? Like students want to hear the best speakers. It, exactly right. Someone else. Um, and it was sort of the kind of thing where it was like, if you had any view that had ever been controversial, we're going to fight uh, you on this speaker. Now uh, the disinvitations seem to be on an uptick even since last year, the year before, we were at you know 20, then 28, now we're at, in the 30s because students are protesting predominantly conservative views on campus. Right. Yep. Yeah, did I, I just read a blog post from um, uh, James Jordan, who's in our, our litigation <laughs> department, uh, which is excellent. Let me see, do I have, did I print it out? Yes, it does. He says, UC Davis feces flingers lose their shit over movie screen. A subhead is, as a public institution, the university cannot tolerate this crap. Long story short, on November 29th, um, several chapters of Sacramento area, Turning Point USA uh, student groups met on UC Davis's campus 
to watch a screening of the controversial documentary, What is a Woman? And then roughly 30 minutes into the screening, the doors uh, opened. The doors swung open. <laughs> two black clad figures rushed in and then threw manure into the room. Yeah. And then I guess one of the student organizers tried to chase them. And then the black clad ninja figures, I don't know, Antifa, whatever you want to call them, pepper sprayed them. <laughs> they so, did. They did. They were prepared. But clearly an effort to shut down the screening of this movie. Um, and there's certainly been, I mean, I think for me, that's been the most striking thing this year as we're closing out the year and we're looking back is the uptick in an appetite for violence, like violent protests. We had the situation at Penn State. Um, there's been some situations at the University of New Mexico this year. There was Cornell with Ann Coulter. Dartmouth. Dartmouth. And you know, a number of, so this is the kind of stuff that used to happen once a year, or once every couple of years, we'd have a situation where like, oh no, uh, you know, someone's violently disrupting the speech or is physically attacking someone and it was a huge deal. And now it was like once a month in the last, every maybe week even more, every a week. Semester, a new case like this. Well, yeah. I mean, so you were talking about kind of the harm or trauma justifications for censorship, or you at least made reference to it earlier, Alex. If you believe speech is violence, it, it makes you feel justified in using actual physical violence to stop that speech, right? I was struck at the November 9th Cornell University speech from Ann Coulter, who is an alumnus of Cornell University um, and who had spoken at the school uh, many times before, I think two or three times before. It is Cornell University, yep, right? it's, it's not college. Yep. Um, I always sometimes confuse this. There is a like, Cornell college, but that's a different one. Yeah, yeah. right? Um, but, and, and Zach, you did a great TikTok video where you broke down kind of the disruptions that were happening at Cornell. And to Cornell's credit, they had police on hand. They did. And when student disruptors stood up and started sh tried to shout down the event, the police came in, tried to remove those disruptors. But then as soon as one was removed, another one would stand up exactly. try and shout it down. And then another one after the that person was removed. It's like, how long can you play whack-a-mole? Yeah, it was coordinated by the disruptors. Yeah. It was like the disruptors would get up there, scream and shout, be warned by the administrators. Police would come in, escort them, drop the event. Another one would come up right after that yeah. for like 10, 20 minutes or so. And, and the reason I bring this up in the context of violence is because one of the student protesters said when they stood up to shout down the event, we don't want you here, your words are violence. Right yeah. now, now Zach, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think any viol physical violence was actually. Used That's here. correct. I mean, they were trying to muscle the event from going forward, but not yeah. not by attacking someone. Not violence. Just sort of kind of like mob tactics in order to just shut to down shout the down, essentially. Yeah, but at Penn State, and they were successful after 30 minutes, and Coulter just gave up and left the stage. And and I think Cornell's administration did issue a kind of. Uh, statement lamenting what was happening. There was, there, there was going to be uh, student disciplinary charges against the students who were involved. They did, which is the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah, and of course, you know, we would never, we always encourage students to protest peacefully <laughs> to, you know, if they disagree with Ann Coulter, they can protest outside, they can write op-eds, they can, uh, you know, engage with her during the Q&A, but yeah. you can't be censoring her. Uh, that is not free speech. Yeah, well, at Penn State, we did have some so, okay, background here. October 24th, Gavin McGinnis, who's one of the founders of Proud Boys, also a founder of Vice News, if I'm not mistaken, was set to speak at Penn State uh, alongside a comedian, Alex Stein. It was billed as a comedy event. Uh, both of them are controversial figures. Penn State kind of knew this would be a controversial event. There were going to be protests. There were some demands that the event be shut down. Uh, they, they learned this rodeo previously. I think Milo Yiannopoulos previously yeah. Yeah. spoke at this at school. But outside of the event, um, as it's about to occur, Alex Stein comes out and kind of heckles some of the protesters. Yeah. Uh, and then there were two or three isolated incidents of, of violence. I think uh, Alex Stein got spit on. Uh, there was also a, a pepper spray incident. Uh, and the university essentially jumped at this as an opportunity to say, oh no, this speech is going to result in violence. We have to shut it down. right? Yes. Um, and for our listeners who kind of aren't familiar with the First Amendment world, uh, you know, to the extent that the government can't prevent violence from occurring, uh, 
and use less restrictive means than shutting down the event, they, they, they can shut down some of these events. But they need to use, take every effort possible to not create that burden on the exercise of First Amendment rights before they go to that extreme and final step. And we can see on video they didn't. You know, you can see in the pepper spray incident there are literally two armed police officers that just stand there and watch. They don't, I know. you know, what's yeah. the point of calling out the cavalry if you literally they're sitting on horses literally many of them were sitting on horses watching you know Alex Stein gets bad on or whatever um, and Penn State has a multi-billion dollar endowment so huge they, police force they cannot tell and they were there but they just didn't do anything yeah. um, and Penn has been you know going tit for tat with us about like oh well we did the best we could and uh, but like I no, said we've got it on I, I worked with Aaron and Chris who are standing behind the cameras here right now on a documentary about uh, the ACLU's defense of the free speech rights when they wanted to rally, uh, neo-Nazis wanted to rally in uh, Skokie, Illinois, uh, home to you know 6,000 Holocaust survivors. I saw what the police can and should do to prevent violence from occurring in probably one of the most hot, you know, hot button, hostile environments possible. You've got Gavin McGinnis, you've got Alex Stein, you've got people spitting on each other. The police can handle They can handle it. If they want to handle that. But they clearly were looking for any justification to shut down the the event. And yeah. violence is usually the best crutch that they can lean on if they want to. And so they find these, you know, a little bit of spittle on <laughs> Alex Stein. You know, and I don't begrudge that either, especially in our era of coronavirus, right? It's Where we're true. very concerned about germs. Um, or pepper spray to just say, you know what, we're, we're First Amendment be damned, the right to free expression in America be damned. And they teach the wrong lesson. They do. To they do. Would be censors. Yeah. You know, spray a little pepper spray, spit a little, and you can get an event shut down. Right? And it, you know, it was very interesting too because I think the the spitter was sort of on the side of many of the protesters against the uh, the event, whereas mm -hmm. the pepper sprayer allegedly we couldn't really tell maybe yeah, no was affiliated with uh, like a Proud Boys situation. We don't know. Um, but what was really interesting is by shutting down this event, they also shut down the protest. So it wasn't just you know, Alex Stein and, and his, like, brethren, Gavin McGinnis, yeah. who lost here. It was also the students who came out to protest. They weren't allowed to continue talking about why they disagree with that event. So it was, you know, it's not just us saying, oh, the, the show should have gone on. The, the protest should have gone on, too. Yeah, there are people that want to listen to the speakers talk. They want to get out there and protest. And Penn State, with taxpayer money, says, no, not going to do either of these things. We can't protect the people. We can't allow the speech to go on. We're going to this entire thing and ruin the party for everybody. And that's not okay. It's not what the First Amendment provides. It's not what the law provides. Well, I think, uh, Alex, did you write our letter to Penn State on this? I think so. Like I said, we've written 200 letters this year. Um, I think you did. You and Graham. That's yeah, right. That's right. Out. Yes, I did. Well, the letter, I think, kind of encapsulates our sentiments uh, well. It says, students will walk away from Monday night with a message about what it means to express themselves on Penn State's campus. The students who peacefully protest risk being assaulted while police stand by and watch, and that those who threaten violence have ultimate control over which ideas are allowed at Penn State. Sort of the moral hazard argument. The behavior that gets rewarded gets repeated. Absolutely. At Penn State, the behavior that gets rewarded, if you want the event to be shut down, is to use violence or to use mob-like tactics in order to shut down the event. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I want to turn next to Emerson College. Uh, Long in the news, uh, long been a pain in the side of fire, uh, long been a cause for concern. What's happening at Emerson? Fifteen months now, by the way, it has been. Alex since. hasn't been counting. She's needed to get <laughs> extra pages for her calendar. Well, we always try to, we always want to, you know, at the end of the year, we look and try to close out these cases and we go, God, is Emerson still going on? They do not like TPUSA at Emerson, uh, the student group TPUSA, Turning Point USA, uh, they have, it all started uh, last year when these students, you, fire, uh, fire news desk readers will remember that these were the students who passed out the uh, China kind of sus stickers yeah. as a sort of among us reference to criticize the Chinese government and what TPUSA says are oppressive tactics, etc. This caused a massive controversy because many students said it was, in, you know, they... Not just students. The Emerson, uh, and, uh, uh, William P. Gilligan, the president of Emerson College, sent out a community-wide email in which he accused the student group of anti-Asian bigotry and hate for these right. China kind of sus stickers. 
And this yeah. was on the heels of COVID where there had been, you know, nationwide, there's sort of this uptick in anti-Asian, uh, you know, sentiment or hate crimes or whatever. And I think this was just a complete overreaction mm -hmm. to well, stupid stickers. Yeah, and the vice president <laughs> of the group, KJ Lynham, is herself Asian. So Yeah, like, <laughs> makes no sense at all. No, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's like... I think I think they were trying to hold water for the Chinese government, or there are there were people on campus who tried to try and shoehorn because they don't like two TPUS yeah, like shoehorn an yeah. argument because nobody likes hate, nobody likes bias to like cast this yeah. as as sort sort of like anti Chinese people, which it, by all accounts was not intended to do. But the university ultimately found the group uh, violative violating Emerson's bias-related behavior policy, issued a formal warning, and the group is effectively shut down on campus because they can't find an advisor, and you yeah. need an advisor to um, be a registered student organization, to host events, to promote those events. So they essentially, the president here, made the group an outcast, put the thumb on the scale against the group, told everyone these people are bigots, Surprise, surprise, you can't find a faculty advisor now to sponsor you. Yeah, I was thought? supposed to speak there in March, by the way, and was told by um, Sam Nevis, who's the president of the uh, <laughs> informal TPUSA group now, that um, they can't host the event anymore because they can't host it on campus and they can't promote it because they're not a registered student organization. They can't reserve rooms, they can't get funding, they no. can't function as a group on campus. And that's a shame because it's all over a sticker, right? One sticker. Said China kind of sus. That's what it said. Obviously, criticizing the Chinese Communist Party for their many abuses of human rights, and because of that, this group is efficiently disbanded on campus. They're not there anymore. Um, they're they're gone. And TPOSA students trying to find a group to discuss conservative viewpoints have nowhere to go now because this group is is gone. No, they they even tried to in October host a documentary screening. That was put together, this documentary put together by CBS News, kind of about their travails yeah. at Emerson. And they were prevented from doing that because the administrator who's like required to approve these, prior review, prior restraints, we could have that whole discussion. Yeah, it's a whole put other that issue. Aside. But like the administrator alleged factual inaccuracies um, about the piece. So, so they're using the, the new fake news justification. The fake news, right? <laughs> and this is CBS, you know, this is not uh, yeah, a, a super. News right-wing publication or anything like that, so. Um. I, guarantee, I guarantee the hundred of the groups at Emerson are not going through this, this rigmarole of prior review before they host documentaries to see if they're also fact, factually accurate or not. No, no, they're not. And the, the problem here is, right, for us, this is a school that promises free expression, but it's also a private university, so your legal options are limited, but IRDP, or well, I shouldn't say IRDP, that was the old name of the Campus Rights Advocacy yep. Department, yep. Individual Rights Defense Program, before we expanded our mission. Now we defend now. lots of different kinds of individuals <laughs> off campus and on, and so now we have. But one of the tools in your toolbox is to file a creditor. Yes. Case, right? Ah, because yes. accreditors have uh, requirements for schools they accredit that they protect free speech and academic freedom rights. So, yeah. and, and, and concerned citizens can file complaints when universities do not, do not lift up, live up to those promises. So what happened there? Well, we are, we are concerned citizens. Well, first, I want to <laughs> outline first what, you know, Campus Rights Advocacy, formerly IRDP, you know, for the last 15 months, we have been trying to work this out with Emerson. We have been trying to get them to see reason. We've written multiple letters. We've said, look, here, your policies are incredibly clear. Here, here, step by step, is how you violated them. When that didn't work, we did like a guerrilla marketing campaign. Yeah, we, on I was going to say the Emerson kind of sus truck. We did the Emerson. They hated that. They hated that. Like the, so great. The student, so the student newspaper keeps asking us if we're going to bring the truck back. Yeah. <laughs> we, so, so for our listeners who don't know, and Aaron, maybe you could cut in a, a picture of the truck for folks viewing this on YouTube. We, we decided after Emerson went back down to park a big LED billboard truck in front of the administration building that says Emerson kind of sus and encouraged people to, like text uh, a number to get more a, information. Yeah. It would take yeah. them to our website. We had emersonkindasus.com or something yeah. like that. Marketing stunts are not dead. In the, <laughs> bring I them think back. We, we bought in, ads on the Boston Tea. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, they hated that. But they still haven't backed down. Um, so. so when, you know, when schools don't listen to fire, uh, we don't give up. Uh, so 
as one of our more extreme measures that we sometimes take when schools, particularly private schools, are not listening to us and we can't, you know, we don't sue them. Uh, we just let their creditor know that this institution is not meeting the standards for, like in this case, um, the New England Commission on Higher Education requires that student or colleges like Emerson provide free speech, basically. Yeah. And so we're saying, look, here's here are these students trying to engage in free speech. We've got 15 months worth of evidence that this isn't happening. They're clearly engaging in viewpoint discrimination against these students. We need you to take action. And just uh, just earlier this week, we heard from um, the commission that they are indeed investigating. So we. Uh, you know, accreditation has to mean something. Yeah. When students yeah. choose Emerson over, you know, Bumble Munch College or whatever <laughs> that's not accredited, they see these standards and say, okay, this is a school that's going to provide me with a meaningful education. And so accreditors yeah. have to enforce these standards. It's a matter of institutional integrity, right? Like, they have these policies. Emerson says in his policies, if you come here, particularly here, we will give you free speech. We will provide you... First Amendment rights consistent with you know a public school. It's like if you go to school and you pay tuition and they don't give any classes. You go to the dining hall, you pay for your apple, they don't give any food. It's like you have to walk the walk and talk the talk when it comes to these universities. And so really happy to say, despite our complaint, the accreditation body is doing something, they're investigating. Hopefully we'll see. And if we are lucky or if we're fortunate, uh, the accreditation body will say, hey Emerson. Like your policies say this, please do this. Deliver on what you promised to your students. Yeah, truth in advertising. And we also t we also told the board of trustees too, in case they weren't aware, in case yeah. they didn't see the truck going by. They didn't see the truck, maybe. We want to make sure. Well, one of the things you too. find, and you know, I know there was a time where we often did send our letters to boards of trustees, and you know, it's, uh, we did that here in Emerson. But often the boards don't actually know the day-to-day -day workings yeah. at these colleges, um, and also are sometimes more ideologically diverse than the administrations at some of these colleges, and are, in fact, the governing body they of are. these colleges and universities. So sometimes letting them know is a worthwhile enterprise because um, that you can sometimes spur action there in a way you can't with the administration. But just you know, kind of as a final note before we sign off on the Emerson stuff, um, we are seeing crackdowns on speakers who are criticizing the Chinese government, not just yeah. at Emerson. Like here, you have the administration do it. it but we had two issues at George Washington University this year right. where students uh, were trying to, presumably students in some cases, were trying to post anti-CCP, anti-Chinese Communist Party flyers around campus. In the first case, to kind of protest human rights abuses surrounding the Beijing Olympics. Uh, and most recently, just kind of general protests of human rights abuses in China. In the first case, the, pre uh, students the president is students like, complain. we're going to find out who did this. And we're like, what? You're trying to yeah. unmask these anonymous speakers? Are you like... Well, it's dangerous, too, because <laughs> oh, criticism yeah. of the CCP, if you're a Chinese national, uh, is illegal and can result in serious punishment, uh, not just for you, but also for your family. Your friends, your family, everyone you know. So yeah. the president of George Washington, and to his credit, he realized very quickly yeah. that this was... Stupid fucking idea. Yeah. Uh, and back down. <laughs> right. But he's initially said he was going to, you know, to the students complaining um, that he was going to investigate and try and unmask the students that were posting these these Chinese, uh, uh, like, protest, these protest flyers of the Chinese Chinese government. And I, I think something like that happened, happened recently um, where uh, flyers critical of the Chinese Communist Party were torn down across GW's campus. I believe Fire wrote a letter and said, you know, we need to do more to protect free expression at GW. Yeah, the silence is deafening here. I mean, this guy is the first thing that he's sitting in his office in D.C., capital of the United States of America, saying that these students cannot criticize the Chinese Communist Party, which is egregious, right? This is America, for Christ's sakes. It just um, goes to show just how, like, scared administrators are whenever yeah. of this kind of controversy. Like, whenever students complain about anything, they've administrators very frequently toss their common sense out the window and say like, I'm gonna investigate, I'm gonna make this right, whatever, without even considering like, what the hell is happening here? Let me take yeah. a look, let me be the adult in the room. Certainly, when there is discrimination, when there's harassment, those policies are already on the books at all these schools. Right. If right. actual discrimination, if actual harassment is happening, administrations should take action mm -hmm. against that, but it's these 
squishy, like someone said something I didn't like and it made me feel this sort of way and then administrators are saying like, I'm going to launch a full-scale investigation. It's that kind of stuff that uh, is, is coming up for us a lot these days and certainly in the, in the China situation, it just underscores the, the consequences are so much higher in that it's, case. it's very benign. Like Emerson, you have stickers, right, of a cartoon. And then yep. in George, George Washington, we have uh, posters, which are mostly in Chinese, which the president came and read, about human rights abuses. So it's like, we're not even talking about like conduct here or speech, we're talking about just literal pamphlets and writing on a, on a wall of universities saying this can't be allowed. Yeah, core, poli not. core political speech. Did you guys see the story go across news desk this morning for our listeners? News desk is kind of our internal news service where we monitor the issues happening on and off campus related to our mission. Uh, but Berkeley College of Music, speaking of Boston, Berkeley College of Music is in Boston. Uh, apparently a student at that college was stalking uh, and threatening uh, someone, I don't know if it was a student, who was posting flyers critical of the CCP, uh, allegedly told the student that they would uh, chop off his hands if he kept, uh, kept posting the flyers. But more concerningly, perhaps, is the fact that uh, this, this student who was charged with stalking want, reported, allegedly, uh, this activity to the Chinese police service or the Chinese, you know, yeah, Public threatened his family, said the security service is going to be there to greet your family. Like, holy hell. Yeah, <laughs> all for posting flyers. Oh, kind of them. oh my God. But um, the uh, Department of Justice, I think the district attorney in, in, for that area of Massachusetts uh, arrested the student or charged the student with stalking. I believe Berkeley College of Music uh, suspended the, the student. Um, but uh, it just goes to show, I mean, the stakes are high when you're yeah. a foreign student who lives under authoritarian government at home. You have the full freedom to express yourself here in the United States, but doing so can risk retribution back home. Uh, and, it, and apparently China has eyes and ears here in the United States willing to outsource that censorship so that it, you know, it can occur here in the United States too. Very scary stuff. And the great part about these flyers is that they're posted anonymously, which obviously is because of the retribution they can face back home. And so these yeah. efforts by administrators and by, I guess, private individuals to unmask these, these protesters are really detrimental to free speech. Yeah. The students Anonymous race. speech is protected speech and this, the China situation goes to show how, how important it can be when you, you are facing threats from, you know, governments that don't have a First Amendment. Yeah. I want to turn now kind of for the final topic of our conversation to Tennessee Tech. Hey. <laughs> uh, Zach. Yeah, Zach, you recently wrote a blog post about a court decision relating to two professors, well, three professors, two professors on one side of the issue, one professor on the other side of the issue there that kind of turned the concept of freedom of expression, freedom of speech on its head. Can you talk a little bit about that case? Sure, just baseline Tennessee Tech, right? Public school bound by the First Amendment, bound by state law to not punish speech that may be, I think it's offensive, unwise, uncivil. And of course, by their, their, by their, their old policies to not do this. And so despite all of these, um, this you know, commitment to free speech, they have uh, punished two professors for posting a parody Game of Thrones flyer of another professor sitting on the Iron Throne, um, criticizing the professor for his, um, I'm sorry to be issue, for advising the TP was safe chapter, bringing it full circle here. Uh. And this is also a, uh, the, the person they're criticizing is not just a professor, they're a local county commissioner as well. It's so true. a politician of sorts. Local doll catcher, yeah. Um, some low level position. And so they, uh, fire was unsuccessful. We were not able to get the punishment rescinded. So they got an attorney and they sued. And the federal district the court sued. The faculty sued. Yeah. And the federal district court said that it was the flyer that really violated people's free speech rights. Not the punishment of the professors for the flyer. The flyer itself cut against the free exchange of ideas on campus because they called this professor and this local government figure a racist. Yeah. And the that, court was wrong here. I think we could yeah. say definitively, so with bizarre. all due respect to the judiciary, this is a terrible decision. It's the first time they I've ever They said you didn't seen. censor this guy enough and that harmed free speech on campus. Should have censored him more. That would have been a better thing for free speech on campus. <laughs> our, our collective jaws were sort of like dropped when that uh, decision yeah, came uh, out. If, you know, professors as government employees have the right to speak. 
um, as private citizens, as a public concern, like posting flyers criticizing government figures for being racist, very much on the free speech rights. University said, no, you can't do this, not okay, you deserve the punishment. University was reasonable in punishing them because they had this free speech policy that protects civil, uncivil and offensive speech. Uh, and we do often see, you know, we talked before about sort of these uh, squishy bias policies that administrators can abuse to say, oh, that's bias, oh, that's bias, that's bias. Same with incivility or right. respectability policies where mm -hmm. they can sort of call anything they don't like uncivil and say, oh, you violated our incivility policy. Oh, you disagree with me? Incivility policy violation. So My favorite part was university, the, the court was like, what is the harm here that the university is trying to, like, to show here? And the court was saying that the, the group professor was so harmed, he went on Fox News the next day and said how harmed he was. He, he, was, he was, you know, he felt so threatened. He went on national cable TV and said, look how threatened I am. Ugh. And I'm like, well, that doesn't seem to be a good justification to override someone's core political speech rights, but I'm not a federal judge, so. Do you know, we know, know if the professors are going to appeal yes, or not? Yes, they're trying to appeal. Yes, all I right, good. So. You'd have to imagine that, you know, at the appellate level, a plurality of ju uh, judges will, well, reasonable <laughs> heads will prevail on this Hopefully, one. hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Right. Crazy case. Uh, yeah, you almost have to appeal. You can't let that that stand. Um, it, this also, you know, we talked early in the podcast about TPUSA at Emerson. We talked about TPUSA right at, at Penn State, or you know, uh, yeah, that was TPUSA at Penn State, right? Was hosting that well, at Penn State, it was like Gavin. Was Penn State was it was. I know it was Gavin McGinnis. I don't know. Was it TPUSA that was hosting? All of our cases are TPUSA. All of our cases are TPUSA, except for the drag show we're going to talk about. The drag show is not TPUSA. It's not always just. But in one case, we're defending the rights of TPUSA and their express rights. In the other case, we're defending the right for people to criticize TPUSA. See? We're nonpartisan. I'm going to get it tattooed on my forehead. Fire, we're nonpartisan. Talk to me about how nonpartisan we are. Uh, but there's another issue at Tennessee Tech, right? Yes. There is. Somehow worse than the first issue. <laughs> yeah. But not involving TPUS. So in August, um, a local LGBTQ rights advocacy organization partnered with two student organizations to host a drag show uh, at Tennessee Technological University's Backdoor Playhouse. Uh, <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, is this a you? Like, is that its actual name? No, this is legit. Yeah. <laughs> no comment on that one. Yeah, I we think, have yeah. not done the factual. There's very creative student groups here. Very creative. Anyway, they hosted this, and there was a video that was taken at the drag show, um, spliced together, featuring um, a performer on stage. I guess children were there giving yeah. this performer fake or real money. I don't know. Um, Offended the sensibilities of some in the community, but this was a voluntary event. Presumably, the parent, the children didn't get there on their own. Their parents brought them. That's you know, right. we have the, all, the right to associate around whatever sort of events or interests we have. Nevertheless, the the president uh, punished the student group for hosting this. They can host no more events. Uh, they said that he, the president said they were disturbed and dismayed by the drag show and later claimed it didn't represent Tennessee Tech's values. The ban on the group's hosting campus events remains in effect. Violations of free speech are an upholding of decency in America. Yeah, right? Um, this is the classic case of an administrator because he is personally offended by the groups, is punishing them by now allowing them to host any campus events the entire semester, including through the next semester. And so think about it, you have an administrator saying he's offended um, because the group uh, was disparaging and mocked any religious group, right? What century is this <laughs> that, that student groups can't mock religious groups, right, on campus? Think about the larger, the larger issue here, right? There is like a thousand student groups in a university, and they're all opposed to each other. You have the, the Catholics, the atheists, the meat eaters, you have the vegans, you have the Democrats or Republicans, right? Imagine that the groups cannot exist on campus because they offended one administrator. There'd be no student groups left on campus. Especially nowadays with uh, you know, uh, the LGBT alliance here hosting drag shows, which is very common. Yeah, I mean, like, what's, uh, you know, what, what are your values? Are you taking issue positions on this stuff? Like, uh, it just, anyway, two, two big issues at Tennessee Tech. Let's, say, let's just say Tennessee Tech is not knocking the free speech ball out of the free speech ballpark. <laughs> uh, definitely no, a contender for our worst Colleges for free speech that we will, I'm assuming, sit down to discuss in, in January. 
Yeah, we can't wait to continue to sig signal Emerson boost all the speech there. that Tennessee Tech and Emerson tried to censor. Uh, we love to continue. When schools try to censor, uh, whatever group it is, whatever viewpoint, I always get uh, real excited for being able to signal boost the speech that they were trying to censor. Oh, yeah. I like that, the that. free speech blues. Aaron behind the camera here uh, is a guitar player. Maybe we can get him hey. to kind of actually come in front of the camera and do the free speech blues. He did a he did a rendition of John Denver's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <I saw> that <laughs> one. <laughs> what, what, what's the name of that song, Aaron? The John? Country Roads. Yeah, about speech codes in West Virginia, speech codes, which is fantastic, baby. and is I think on our YouTube channel, right, Aaron? A very talented musician to your fire. We're yes. nonpartisan. We're multi-talented. Come to us for all your free speech. We were needs. talking about putting together a band because John Murigliano, our web developer, is a, is a drummer. Drummer, I think, well, we do have a bassist, Jack Witten, who runs our news desk, uh, is a bass player. Yeah, and I play cello in fifth grade, you know, I'm right there. Yeah, yeah, very cool. I will watch. I, <laughs> I have no talent in rules. <laughs> I play guitar, so I could, uh, Aaron can play lead, I can play rhythm. I was in a Swedish death metal band for many years. Swedish uh, death metal. Uh, oh, yeah, fact. I forgot about your Swedish death metal obsession. Uh, yeah, we had a, we had a record deal. <laughs> It's a throwback, how things change. All right. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it there. Out of time. Uh, Zach, Alex, I, I appreciate you guys coming on the show to discuss uh, the campus work this year. Um, and for those of you who are listening, don't forget my note at the beginning. Again, speech is free, but protecting it here at FIRE is not. We don't live on love. We you know, depend on your support and your donations to uh, ensure that this uh, free speech playhouse keeps rocking. Um, this podcast is hosted and produced by me, Nico Perino, and recorded and edited by my colleague, Aaron Reese. We also have uh, Chris Maltby behind the camera as well. To learn more about So To Speak, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching for the handle Free Speech Talk. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash so to speak podcast. We also post full video versions of the episodes to So To Speak's YouTube channel, and we post segments or clips to Fire's YouTube channel. So check those out if you want to see video versions of the podcast, if you're listening uh, on a podcast player. If you have feedback, we take listener feedback at so to speak at thefire.org. We also like reviews. Uh, more reviews we get, the more Apple Podcasts or Google Play feed this podcast to uh, more potential listeners as they're exploring for new podcasts to listen. And until next time, I wish you all a happy holidays, happy new year, and we'll talk to you in 2023.